Good morning and welcome to church. I trust that wherever you are worshiping us with us from, uh, all is well with you. You've had a good week. Uh, we are thankful to God that another month dawns on us and we are so happy and we have a lot of glee in our hearts that the seventh day of a new month has dawned on us. Uh, what a powerful time we had praying um, for the past week and it, it's been a blessing uh, learning about grace and believing God that our month is going to be a month of grace. It's going to be an impactful one. Expect good things to happen and let's believe God for that. Amen. Let's pray and get right into it. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for an opportunity to minister to your people. Thank you, Lord, for such a great and a, a precious moment you've given to me as a shepherd to minister to your choicest people, your beloved people whom you have washed with the blood. I pray that um, as this opportunity comes, I will take it with reverence and may my speech be articulated by the Holy Spirit. Uh, may impact occur, may transformation occur, and we will be careful to give you all glory. Um, Father, as I, I stand behind this um, pulpit, Lord, I pray that um, let me be more diminished and you should be more glorified and exalted that all praise will be given to you in the aftermath. In Jesus' name, amen. Please turn your Bibles with me to the book of John chapter 16, verse 8 to 15. John chapter 16, verse 8 to 15. Today I'm speaking under the sub-theme, the helper. The helper, part three. The helper. You know what? For us to gain context of our passage for today, let's start from verse 7. So John chapter 16, verse 7 to 15, I read, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because... I go to my father and you see me no more of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot hear them or bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak. He will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take off what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take off mine and declare it to you. Amen. In today's passage, we want to look a bit further at the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Um, he was first introduced by Jesus to his disciples as a comforter in John chapter 14. Prior to that, I believe that the disciples, they had a fair knowing about the Holy Spirit, but it was very limited. Um, but Jesus, for the first time, he didn't talk about the Holy Spirit as a sensation. He didn't talk about him as an endowment or an unction. 
This time he referred to the Holy Spirit as a person. And when we read John chapter 14, the Bible lets us know that the Holy Spirit is called another. That means he is one of the same kind. So for the first time, the disciples were actually hearing about the Holy Spirit as a divine being, as one that is equal with God. And the name that was given to him was Helper. The King James Version uses the word comforter. And if you do remember part one of that, we did well to unveil or unpack the meaning of the word helper. And we came up with six names, comforter, advocate, intercessor, counselor, strengthener, and standby. All these functions reveal the nature of the Holy Spirit. It also reveals the nature of God. So safe to say, the Holy Spirit is in the same breath and in the same class as the Godhead, the third person of the Trinity. He has equal and divine attributes that makes him part of the Godhead. Amen. The Holy Spirit also witnesses to us the love of God, that we can call him Abba Father. And that's why Jesus introduced him as God or as a divine being in John chapter 14, because one of the main functions or duties of the Holy Spirit is to comfort in us, is to assure us of the love that we have from our Father, is to assure us that we have experienced sonship. We are not strangers. We are not just creatures of, of, of God's creation, but we've moved from that to becoming a son. And that can happen when the ministry of the Holy Spirit is in full effect. And Jesus said that, and Jesus also referred to him in that same chapter in chapter 14 that he is a teacher. He will teach us all things, all things concerning spirituals, all things concerning the counsel, the entire counsel of God's will, which can be found in the word of God. And he will bring it to our remembrance so that we will be able to live by it. Are you understanding me? So when we did John chapter 14, I believe we did cover all those grounds. Then in John chapter 15, verse 26, Jesus explained that the Holy Spirit is also known as the spirit of truth. He is not the spirit of error or falsehood. He is the spirit of truth. Whenever you make a qualitative decision to rely on the Holy Spirit, best believe you will never descend into error. His ways are paths of peace and truth. Amen. So he is known as the Spirit of Truth who proceeds from the Father. And this lets us know that the Holy Spirit is the best gift that God gave to the church. And he testifies of God. The reason why we are emboldened as witnesses to preach the gospel is because of the testimony of God to us by the Holy Spirit. If he didn't testify of God to us, we don't have a message to preach. So we are able to do what we are doing because the Holy Spirit will testify to us of who God is, the nature of God, and out of that experience, we are emboldened to call ourselves witnesses and share the word of God. Amen. So now in this chapter, in chapter 16, we are now seeing another aspect of the Holy Spirit. And there are three things that I want you to note about the Holy Spirit when we look at the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Three things from our scripture passage. The Holy Spirit convicts, 
the Holy Spirit guides, the Holy Spirit glorifies. I repeat, the Holy Spirit convicts, the Holy Spirit guides, the Holy Spirit glorifies. So today, I'm, we are just going to look at just one function of that. We are going to look at the convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So first and foremost, what's the meaning of the word convict? Now, when you look at this word convict in the context of this church, it means to bring to light or to expose. Amen. So when it comes to conviction, the Bible lets us know from verses 8 to verse 11 that there are three fields that the Holy Spirit convicts. That is, he brings to light and he brings some exposure. The first conviction that we see is the world. And why does the Holy Spirit convict the world? Jesus said, he convicts the world because they do not believe in me. That's why he convicts the world. And when we see here, how does he convict the world? He convicts the world through the preaching of God's word. So now the first field we are looking at are people who haven't received Christ as their Lord and personal Savior. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict them. You see, for us human beings, it's just our job to present the gospel. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict them. And when the Holy Spirit convicts them, out of that conviction, they will make a decision to, eat, to receive Christ as their Lord or personal Savior or receive the call to salvation. So from this scripture, people receiving Christ as their Lord and personal Savior or people responding to the call of salvation, it's a supernatural work. It's not man's work. There is no amount of preaching I can preach that can make you give your life to Christ. As you are sitting here, you may affiliate yourself with being a Christian, but the reason why you are a Christian is because of the Holy Spirit's working. It wasn't because of the ebullience of the pastor or how well the pastor could put the words together or how he even emotionally moved you. It's the working of the Holy Spirit. He convicts the world. So people receiving Christ as their Lord and personal Savior, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's why whenever we have an opportunity to witness, we should never discount the role of the Holy Spirit. Because if you discount the role of the Holy Spirit, you will just go with eloquence. And eloquence is not going to get you far. Paul, one of the reasons why he was able to have so much success in his ministry, he said, I did not come with the enticing speech of man's wisdom. But I came in the demonstration of the power and of the spirits. And, and he came that only Christ alone will be preached. That is the secret. So if we want to share the word of God to our family members, our friends, or to anybody, maybe our work colleagues, we have to rely on the influence of the Holy Spirit. Because that is his ministry. His ministry is to convict the world of unbelief. You see, and notice, it didn't say he will convict the world of sins. Sin. Singular. 
There is only one sin that man has sinned, and that's the sin of unbelief. Not believing in Christ as their Lord and personal Savior. As a matter of fact, it is because of that sin that we have sins, or other sins. So, the greatest sin in the kingdom of God is not homosexuality, it's not murder, it's not abortion. The greatest sin in the kingdom of God is unbelief. Not receiving Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. Not believing in Jesus Christ and not deciding to worship him. That comes from a state of unbelief. And out of unbelief comes all the other heinous acts that we might term sin. Do you understand me? Because sometimes people may think that the biggest sin is homosexuality or abortion or murder. That's not the biggest sin. The biggest sin is unbelief. When you don't believe in Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, you will murder. You will lie. You will, you will do everything that is sinful. So, the Holy Spirit comes to convict us so that we will believe in Christ. And it's out of belief that we will begin to form right habits, right actions, which will then form our character Hence, giving us the nature of a new creation. Do we all understand? So, when it comes to the world, the Holy Spirit is there to convict the world, to bring us to repentance. And that happens through the preaching of God's word. Whenever the word of God is preached, the Holy Spirit's ministry is to highlight the urgency and the importance to respond to the call of salvation. And one thing, that's why it's important to preach the word. Because if you don't preach the word, the Holy Spirit cannot convict if there is no preaching. And the Holy Spirit will not do the preaching. We will have to do the preaching, but it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict people. So, if you have an opportunity to tell somebody about your faith, if you have the opportunity to tell someone about God's love, your job is just present the message. Don't force the person. Don't cajole the person. Don't manipulate the person. Don't even make it emotional to the point whereby he has to use emotions to take a decision. Are you understanding me? Just present the word and rely on the convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit who is able to convict. According to Jesus, the job of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world. So it's, it happens through the preaching of the gospel. Conviction doesn't happen through a vacuum. It has to happen through a platform. And the platform by which we will experience the convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit, especially to our unsaved friends, our unsaved families and loved ones, is through the preaching of God's word. So you present the word. You don't bash them. You know, sometimes there are some people who, who, who do such a poor job of preaching. You don't bash people if you want them to receive Christ. Present to them the gospel. Are you understanding me? It's one thing to bash the sin. It's another thing to bash the person. Present the gospel. Present what God says about that situation and then leave it up to the convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit to bring them to repentance. Are you understanding me? So now, I just want us to see a typical example of that in Acts chapter 2. Because Jesus told Peter, who was among the disciples, and Jesus was just about to die, that 
when I go, the Holy Spirit will come. And when he comes, he will convict the world because they do not believe in me. So now, let's see a typical example of that. So go with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 38 to 41. Now, here is Peter preaching to a very large crowd. And those days, during the Passover week, it's a celebration. You know, we, we are all aware of celebrations. When there is celebration, it's always pomp and pageantry. You know, people gather in their numbers, some travel and everything. Occasions always bring families together and guests and people together. Such was the scene during Passover. There were a lot of people that had come from different places to celebrate the Passover. And let's see what happened that day. Acts 2, verse 38 to 41. Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So when we are presenting the gospel to people, we have to present the gospel of repentance. Repentance means to make a course adjustment, to change your mind, to change your actions. That's repentance. Every gospel should, con- con- should contain that. Then it says, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. The second thing that the gospel has to do is that we have to highlight the importance of Christ's sacrificial death for our sins. So, one, every good message that you preach to somebody should call one to repentance. A change of mind, a change of heart, a change of action. Number two, the message should also contain Christ's sacrificial death for our sins. What, what was the importance of it? When Christ died, our sins were paid for so that we will no longer be called sinners. And then the third thing that Peter highlighted is that you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we also have to talk about the presence and the gift of the Holy Spirit. When we are preaching, to people who are outside our food, they need to know about Jesus died for our sins because he loved us. And as a matter of fact, you don't just experience the forgiveness of sins, you also experience the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that message, if it's powerful, led by the Holy Spirit, it calls one to repentance. That is a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of action. Normally, when we talk about repentance, many people have reduced repentance to feeling sorry and crying. That's not necessarily repentance. Okay? You don't have to shed tears and, you know, be sniveling, uh, which constitutes repentance. Repentance simply means that I changed my mind. That's making a decision. I changed my action. I changed my heart. That's repentance. Amen. And then look, verse 39. For the promise is to you and to your children and all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. 41. Then those who gladly received this word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. So it just gave us a gist of Peter's message. The Bible says that, 
And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them. So that we don't know. They just gave us a brief overview of what Peter preached. But the Bible says that the people that heard the word, they gladly received the word. And 3,000 gave their lives to Christ or received Christ as their Lord and personal Savior. Now, when Jesus was walking on the face of the earth, he was very despised. He was almost like the man, the mystery and the myth. You know, he had this, this sort of thing about him. He was quite a controversial figure. Some even reduced him to sound bites. But now he's gone to heaven and Peter is ministering under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is convicting the people. And the people are receiving Christ as their Lord and personal Savior. So you see the, the role of the Holy Spirit here. The reason why these people gave their lives to Jesus Christ was not because of Peter's preaching. It was because of the Holy Spirit that backed the preaching. I think if every believer knows this, you will be bold to witness. It's not about how many scriptures you know. It's just availing yourself. Tell somebody about Jesus died for you. Your sins are forgiven. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And repent. It takes for you to change your mind, change your hearts, change your actions. Believe in Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. As simple as that. And if you rely on the potency of the Holy Spirit's ministry, which has to do with conviction, the person will be saved. But most times, when we are doing witnessing, we are thinking about ourselves. It's me. I am the one responsible to lead the person to Christ. When it becomes too I, me, focus, you are not going to win any soul. So if we really want to win souls for the kingdom of God, we have to be able to recognize and appreciate the Holy Spirit's role in that. Amen. The second field are believers. And Jesus said it right here. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. So, the first field that the Holy Spirit convicts is the world. He convicts them of sin because they do not believe in him. And the, the sin that causes people to be unbelievers is the sin of unbelief. Not the sin of sexual immorality. Not the sin of murder. Not the sin of abortion. The sin of unbelief. Because like I said, it is unbelief that gives birth to all the other kinds of sins that we know of. Never forget that. That's why when we preach the gospel to people, we preach to them to believe in Christ. And when they believe in Christ, they experience the transformation. Now, the second field are believers. And what, 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 why does the Holy Spirit convict believers? He convicts believers to bring to light the gift of righteousness. You know, one thing you have to understand about this is that the disciples, this will be the first time in three years they were not going to see their master. 
And they will have to learn how to live the rest of their lives without their master, who is Jesus Christ. So, with Jesus being present, these disciples had access to God. With Jesus being present, these disciples had access to revelation of the word. With Jesus being present, these disciples could walk in the demonstration of God's power. And there are many records in the Bible that show them do some wonderful things because of Jesus. But now, for the first time, their trajectory of their newfound faith is going to change. They are not going to have Jesus. How are they going to experience the revelation of God's word? How are they going to walk in the demonstration of the spirit and power? How are they going to be bold and feel like they can impact the world for Christ? Jesus says something. In my absence, the Holy Spirit will come and he will bring to light, he will expose to you the gift of righteousness. Ladies and gentlemen, it is when we receive the gift of righteousness. Pastor Jessica just preached about this just a couple of weeks ago. Listen to the message. When we experience the gift of righteousness, we are emboldened to come to God. And that's what these disciples needed. They have to be able to come to God without Jesus. They have to be able to have the revelation of the word without Jesus. They should be able to walk in the demonstration of the power and in the spirit of God without Jesus. But this is going to happen when you understand the gift of righteousness. Because when you understand the gift of righteousness, that because of Christ's sacrificial death, I have been made righteous. I have been justified. All my sins have been forgiven. And I am a free man. When you understand this concept of our Christian life, you are emboldened to come to God. You have unlimited access. And it is when you have access to God and when you foster that relationship with him, it is through that that you have revelation of God's word. It is through that that you'll be able to walk in the demonstration of the spirit and power. It is true that, that you'll be able to walk in certain spiritual gifts and experience certain dimensions of the spirits. It is through that that we can even serve God with a clear conscience and we can walk in the liberty of the spirit. Without a sense of righteousness, you can't walk in the liberty of the spirit. The Holy Spirit has come to remind us of that. So if you're a believer, one of the present-day ministries of the Holy Spirit is to remind us that we are righteous. And why are we righteous? We are righteous because God sent his son to die for us. And if you have received Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, you are righteous. That is the job of the Holy Spirit. And if you have ears, you will be hearing the Holy Spirit loud and clear. Amen. Now, one thing that we also have to understand when it comes to convicting us of righteousness is that he has also empowered us to walk in our identity or our nature of righteousness so that we will not become unrighteous. That's also very important. So the first aspect is about affirming. The second aspect is about correcting. So you have to know the difference between the devil and the Holy Spirit when it comes to sin. 
when we sin, the devil condemns us. And when the devil condemns us, we will feel guilty and we will feel ashamed. And we will feel like God is so disgusted and angry at us that we will withdraw. That's what condemnation does. When condemnation is unresolved in the life of a Christian, he draws further and further away from the presence of God. And that's why sometimes you can see certain people who start off with so much zeal, they love the Lord and everything, and then they are encumbered. They fall into maybe one or two things that is unbecoming, and then they start to withdraw. Do you know why? It is because you are experiencing the condemnation of the devil, which is bringing guilt and shame. But this is what the Holy Spirit rather does when we sin. When we sin, the Holy Spirit rather convicts us And convicts us means he corrects us. He doesn't correct us to bring us to shame. He doesn't correct us to bring us to guilt. He corrects us so that we will be able to make a course adjustment and keep on walking as if we have never sinned. And that is the role of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit doesn't just affirm our identity that we are the righteousness of God. He also corrects us when we fall into unrighteous acts or we become unrighteous. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. So when the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit has come to convict us of righteousness, it's two-pronged here. The first has to do with affirming our identity, affirming that we have been accepted in the beloved, affirming that you and I became righteous on the basis of Christ's sacrificial death. And you and I need to know that. And the second part of convicting us of righteousness is that when we sin, when we fall, when we err, we are not abandoned. He corrects us so that we can make the necessary course adjustments and keep on moving as if we haven't sinned. Why? Because once we we come to that realization that I have done wrong. You are forgiven and then you keep on moving. So that's the difference between the Holy Spirit dealing with sin and the devil dealing with sin. So we have to know the Holy Spirit when it comes to him convicting us of righteousness. And let me give you a typical example. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3 to 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3 to 5. This is Paul writing to the Ephesian church, and he said, But fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for the sins. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. But this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So that's how the Holy Spirit corrects. The Holy Spirit corrects by reminding you that remember your sentence. You are programmed differently. He doesn't come to condemn you. He doesn't come to beat you with a stick to make you feel guilty and make you feel ashamed. But rather, when we sin, when we, when we err, he rather comes to let us know that your default sentence is not programmed 
originally, as it is in heaven. In heaven, we are programmed to be righteous. Your default sentence, your mind, keeps going back to carnality. So you will need to renew your mind with the word of God. So the Holy Spirit, he corrects us by the word of God. He doesn't correct us by beating us. He doesn't, he doesn't correct us by keeping us down. He doesn't correct us by making us feel guilty. When the Holy Spirit convicts us of our righteousness, especially when we become unrighteous or we do something that is short of our identity, he rather lets us know that this is not what a righteous person should do. And the outcome of that is that we come to a place of repentance, a change of hearts, a change of mind, understanding the forgiveness of God, and we keep moving forward. Let me tell you the difference between a matured Christian and an immature Christian. One is not sinless and one is sinful. Both are sinful. A matured Christian is just as sinful, is just as prone to error as an immature Christian. But the only difference between the two, one has subjected himself to the conviction of the Holy Spirit that he is able to make a course adjustment and keep moving forward. Whilst the other who is immature will sit down and will allow himself to be beaten, condemned, guilt-shamed, guilt-tripped to the point that he now begins to experience a broken relationship with God. You see the difference? So both are prone to error. We are all prone to error. But one will submit himself to the convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit, who is a gift to us. He comes to make sure that he resets us so that we, we, our mindset will be in line with our born-again spirit so that we can continue living righteous and not wallow in sin and keep on allowing the devil to use us as his victim and as his conquest. Amen. So I pray that if any of us feel guilty, come out of that guilt Come out of that condemnation and submit yourself to the convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit, which is freeing and which is liberating. When the Holy Spirit corrects you, it is freeing and it is liberating. You even come to experience the love that God has for you and it gives you a certain leap and a certain step to just keep going forward because who the Son has set free is free indeed. Amen. Now, let's go to the third field. The third field is the devil. So, we are looking at the convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit. He convicts the world because they do not believe in him. And he convicts the world of the sin of unbelief through the preaching of God's word that they will understand the importance and the urgency of the call to salvation. So when someone receives Christ, anybody you see receive Christ as their Lord and personal Savior, that is the working of the Holy Spirit, not the working of the preacher. Never ever credit what the Holy Spirit does to the ebullience, to the oratory, 
or to the charisma of the preacher. That is idolatry. That glory belongs to the Holy Spirit. Because if you are able to preach a message and people come to the Lord, we just read in John 16, he convicts the world because they do not believe in him. It's not charisma. It's not oratory that lets people receive Christ as their Lord and personal Savior. Hear me well, it is the Holy Spirit. That is why if you want to minister to somebody, rely on the Holy Spirit who convicts. Amen. The second thing that we have learned is that the Holy Spirit convicts us, believers of righteousness, because Christ our Father is not here. Have you ever seen a bully who is afraid of the big brother? As far as the big brother is there, he is never going to be on his bullying tactics. But when the big brother goes, he comes. And that's what the devil thought. That, oh, Christ is not there. I'll be able to bully the disciples. Not knowing Christ had left a deposit of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is there to convict us of righteousness. And it's twofold. He convicts us of righteousness to affirm the gift of righteousness that we have received. That has now become our identity and our nature. And then the second thing is that he convicts us so that when we are unbecoming of our identity, we are able to make the course adjustments and make the necessary correction, hence still enjoying an unbroken fellowship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The third field is the devil. I love that. So the Holy Spirit convicts the world, convicts us believers and convicts the devil. And why does he convict the devil? Of judgment. The devil is a defeated foe and he has been judged to eternal doom and destruction. You and I should know that. It's good news. We should thank God for the Holy Spirit because he brings to light, he always brings that exposure to the devil that you are defeated, you are judged, you are doomed to eternal destruction. Can you imagine always experiencing a drum roll of your defeats? That's what is happening to the devil. In case you don't know, he always, every morning that he wakes up, he hears the drum roll of defeats from the Holy Spirit because as far as the Holy Spirit is alive and until the end of the age, his job is to always sound to the ears of the devil that. You have been defeated. You have been subjected to eternal doom and destruction. You are judged and you are already a defeated fool. And that is why the devil's strongest weapon against the world and as believers is ignorance. 1 Corinthians 4, 4, the Bible says that for the God of this world, who is the devil? He has blinded the minds of many that they will not receive the glorious gospel. That's why the devil doesn't want people to receive the gospel. Because when they receive the gospel, in the gospel, they will know that the devil has been defeated and he is eternally doomed for destruction. The world thinks the devil is strong. The world thinks the devil is powerful. But when you hear the gospel, the gospel unveils the eternal destruction, the eternal doom, and the eternal judgment of the devil. That's why he doesn't want the world to hear the gospel. 
And then secondly, one time Apostle Paul says something. We will not be ignorant of the devil's devices, least he takes advantage of us. So to the world and to the believers, the devil's strongest weapon is ignorance. And that is why it is important to stay in the light of God's word, to shine away every dark crevice of ignorance that will want to permeate our mind and spirits. Let me give you two scriptures to let you know that the devil is a defeated foe. From today, never be afraid of the devil. Don't fear his tactics. Don't fear what he can do because he is a defeated foe. And for this reason, the Holy Spirit has been sent to convict the devil, to bring to light, to expose the devil that you have been defeated. Colossians chapter 2 verse 15. First scripture. And then we take communion to thank God. And when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public example of them, having triumphed over them through the cross. The devil was defeated on the cross. We just celebrated the Passion Week, which consisted of Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. When Jesus died on Good Friday, when we celebrated that day, that was the day the devil was defeated. And in the olden days, when a strong foe was defeated, this was what they did. They stripped him naked. They cut his thumb. Because when they cut his thumb, he will never be able to hold the sword again. And then they will cut the big toe. When they cut the big toe, that means he will never be able to stand for battle. You know, your, th- your, your big toe has a, has a firm grip in helping you to stand well. So when your big toes are cut, you, you, you struggle with mobility and you struggle with stability a bit. So this is what they did. They cut the big thumb so that you will never be able to hold a sword again. They cut your big toe and then they strip you naked. And then they parade you through the city. That, that person that you feared, here is him. They were, they were pretty ruthless. And that is the sort of picture that Paul had when he wrote that Christ paraded the devil. He, he stripped him and beat him bloody and bruised. And, and he's just parading him, letting us know that he's defeated. That is why you don't have to fear the devil. You don't have to fear his works. Because the devil that is trying to torment us, that is trying to make us feel the way we are feeling, it's all because he's a defeated foe and he knows that his time is up. He's defeated. Revelation 20.10. The Bible lets us know that the devil who deceived us, he is going to be cast into the lake of fire and he will burn in torments forever and ever. This is why the Holy Spirit is important because one of his ministries is to continually play a drum rule of his defeats, of his eternal doom and destruction. So from today, please don't fear the devil. He's a defeated foe. The enemy that you have is a defeated foe. The enemy that you have, he has been doomed to eternal destruction. It is only ignorance that he will use to have advantage over you. That is why when you're a believer, it's so important to read the Bible. In my conclusion today, we have seen the Holy Spirit as a counselor. If you do remember, one of the names we talked about is he's a counselor. And we've seen his convicting, his reproving, his convincing, and his ministry of correction. 
The Holy Spirit uses the agency of God's word to become a good convictor of the world, of us, and of the devil. As believers, our job is to surrender and submit ourselves to the workings and the dealings of the Holy Spirit. He's the best gift that God has given to us, the church. Let's pray. Father, we surrender. We surrender to your workings, your dealings with us. We surrender to your convicting. We surrender to your correction. We surrender to your reproof. We surrender, O oh Lord, that we will be made perfect, thoroughly equipped for every good work, perfect entirely, wanting nothing. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Let's take communion.